lives and in the house, God is on the move. Amen. I said God is on the move. He's doing great, great things. And, and, and as we uh, get ready to launch off a brand new year, we, I'm excited because I get to launch off a brand new series. And for the next several months, really, I'm going to be weaving this principle through all of the stuff that we're going to be talking about and teaching. We're going to start off and we're, we're going to get, uh, you know, we start the year off every year with a 21-day corporate fast. And so we're going to talk about fasting. We're going to be encouraging you to participate in the fast and to demonstrate Satan's defeat. And, 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 and uh, you know, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, we've had uh, Jensen Franklin in the house via video. And it's been awesome. And uh, he's been talking. We, we got another one coming up this week. And, uh, you know, and just, you know, the reasons to fast. You, don't, you know what? There's a lot of biblical reasons to fast. There's not, a, there's not one, not two. Thank you for that crazy amen right there. I felt the love. Flooding me. <laughs> it's so fun to talk about fasting to you guys. <laughs> you know what's crazy is that uh, in, in years past, we'd, we'd start fasting and we'd talk more about food than anything else. You know, what's, what's legal? You know, what, what, what kind of what uh, vegetarian sausage can we get? You know, <laughs> and uh, uh, we, actually, we actually found short ribs and barbecue sauce one time, and it fit the Daniel fast. Praise Jesus. And that's all we talked about. And at the end of the fast, you know, you didn't feel like you had much breakthrough, basically because you didn't. And um, it's because you, all you did was think about food. So, you know, uh, I just want to encourage you, you know, Daniel, and, you know, you might have a medical thing going on. You need to talk to your doctor. But most people, fasting is actually very, very, very healthy. And if you, if you jump in and, and participate in a fast at the end of it, I'm promising you that you're going to be better shape than you are right now. And there aren't very many of us that couldn't stand to miss a meal or two. And if you do the Daniel fast, all you're cutting out is meat, bread, and sugar. Just cut those things out and, and uh, set your mind on God. Amen? And, and uh, we're going to talk about fasting, and uh, then we're, we're going to spend some time, and we're going to talk about fitness. There's that some more excitement right there. Okay, and uh, then, then we're going to talk about family, and then just right about tax time, we're going to be talking about finances. And then we're going to talk about what God has to say about fun, and recreation, and how to do it in, in a way that that is pleasing in in the eyes of God. But uh, all through these teachings, we're going to be weaving a, a common thread. And it's really, it's just the principle of three chairs. And I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, might have been 15 years ago, read a book, uh, it was uh, Experiencing Spiritual Breakthrough. And that, that author, uh, Bruce Wilkinson, he wrote another book, The Prayer of Jabez. Maybe you heard of that one. Um, but this book, he just, he just laid out the principle of three chairs. And I, and I want us to just begin to wrap our mind around this principle and we're going to start today by just sharing some of the basic concepts of this principle with you. And, and, uh, and I want you to get to the point where you understand when, when you can, where, where you can communicate with each other uh, when you're making a decision. And you say, is, is that a first chair decision? You know, are, are we living first chair? Because, you know, that's, that's who we want to be. We want to be first chair believers. If you look at the screen and, and you got the, the three chairs there, you know, there, there's a word that goes with each chair. The first chair, the word would be commitment. Commitment. Everybody say commitment. Uh, the second chair would be compromise. Say compromise. The third chair would be complacent. Very good. Uh, you know, this, this applies in every realm of life. But in reality, where you sit in the chair spiritually really impacts everything else. 
And, uh, you know, to be, to be the people that God's called us to be, we understand that we have to have the character that God would want us to possess. Because character determines final outcome, right? And so, you know, uh, we're going to look at this, and, and I'm going to try really hard to stay right here and on track because I've got a lot of stuff to share with you today to help you understand this concept so that when we get rolling, it's just part of your uh, mindset, okay? So look at your neighbor and say, buckle up, Betty. All right. Uh, you know, a lot of times, it, it, you know, when we're getting ready to launch a new year, we think about where we want to be at the end of next year. Where, where are we going to be five years from now or ten years from now? What, where are we going to be? And, th- and that's important. But you also got to understand it's important to understand where you're at right now. Because to get to where you're going, it's a great idea if you know where you're launching from. You know, to know where you're seated right now. Everybody is seated in one of these three chairs. And in relationship to God, it kind of looks like this. The, you know, the guy who's in the commitment chair, his relationship with God is alive. It's real. It's exciting. He's pumped about God. The guy who's in the chair of compromise, he started off alive. But somewhere you know, along the journey, stuff happens. He's had a few great moments. He, he went to man camp. Woo-hoo, you know, uh, or, or she went to, you know, a Team 31 event and felt the presence. You know, it's, it's got moments, but there's no, it's not a real consistent uh, celebration of relationship. The guy that sits in the chair of, of the complacent, he thinks God and church are for weak people. He's not necessarily a raging atheist, but he's a practical atheist. He just doesn't allow God in his life. And if you're wondering, well, what is, you know, is this biblical? Well, all through the Bible, if you take this principle and begin to study the Word, you'll find it. It's all through there if you just look at it. And we're going to show you one place. It's in Joshua 24, starting at verse 14. It says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Uh, if you write in your Bible, I, I hope that you would underline the word wholeheartedly. If you don't write in your Bible, grab your neighbors and scribble in theirs whole-hearted seekers of God. That's what we want to be. Amen? We don't, we don't want to be half-hearted when it comes to our relationship with God. We want to be serving Him wholeheartedly. And He said, put away forever the idols of your ancestors that they worshipped when they lived beyond the river. Serve the Lord alone. And in verse 15 it says, if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors or will the gods of the Amorites and the land that you're now at? Is that going to do it? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Basically, he is exhorting the people and he's saying, come on, guys, let's be first chair followers of God. Let's serve the Lord. If you want to move and and slide into compromise, we'll make a choice and go for what you're going to go for. But as for me and my house, we're going to be first chair people. I think that that's something that we ought to just uh, latch onto, wrap our heart and our mind around and say, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to be first chair believers. You know, I I would double dog dare you. Wherever, you know, and today as we go through this, I, I don't want anybody feeling you know, awkward or uneasy about the chair you find yourself sitting in. I, you know, I believe that we exist to help move people from chair three to chair two to chair one. I think that's what we're all about. And, and you know, our, our vision is finding people who are far from God and walking with them to a place where they're close to God. Sometimes finding people who are far from God, you don't even have to leave the church. Come on now, you've had one of them days, 
right? Did it turn into a moment? Did it turn into a week that cost you half a year? You, you know, well, we want to be first chair people. Amen? And we want to be people who say, as for me and my house, we're serving God. Look, it doesn't take long for shift to occur. If you go just a couple of pages, you know, over in your book and you get into the book of Judges, second chapter, look at verse 8. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath and in the mountain of Ephraim and on the north side of Mount Gash. And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Suddenly, we got chair three people. In one generation, it eroded, it crumbled from chair one people to chair three. See, chair one people know God. Chair two people know about God. And chair three people are oblivious to God. It's just not safe to not know where you're at. You've got you to gotta go into this thing. You've got to begin to ask God to open your eyes and show me every area of my life, where am I seated? It's not an enjoyable conversation when you first start it. Can I tell you that there's areas of your life just like mine where God's going to show you you're not where you ought to be. And when he shows you where you're not supposed to be, that's kind of an indicator that he would like you to move, not to justify. Somebody say amen. Let's look at this, this principle. What, what's it look like as to who's on the throne of their life? Chair one, people, there's absolutely no question who's on the throne. God. God alone. Not career, not family, not position. C.S. Lewis wrote that Christianity can never be moderately important. I think for a lot of people, Christianity is just kind of moderate. But that's not the way it should be. You know, I got to tell you something. I grew up in a first chair house. And I, you know, where's mom? Hi, mom. Thanks. You rock. King James, you rocketh. Um, I grew up in a first chair house. And, you know, I, I, I've been in church my whole life. And a lot of times, twice a day for years at a time. Because we traveled with the tent and we held the meetings and, you know, uh, uh, we were in church. But there did come a point in my life where I had to make my own choice. I couldn't just ride mama's coattails. And there's a point where each and every one of us have to make a choice who's going to be on the throne. You know, the reality is is that your mom and dad can't tithe for you. Pastor Evor and Vince, they can't pray for you. The worship team can't worship for you. Pastor Tom can't fast for you. Now, we're praying for you, but we ain't praying for you. You know, we're, we're praying for you, but not so that you don't have to pray. But we're praying for you so that you would begin to pray, right? And, 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 you know, maybe when you launch into the fast, you'll begin to ask God, you know, to show you the areas of your life. It, are you on the throne? Chair two people, they, they struggle here because there's a lot of duplicity. It's not it's not that God isn't on the throne, but he has to share it with me. See, it just depends on the circumstance I'm in and the situation I'm in as to who's really going to rule and reign. If it's going my way, then I might let God rule. But if it's something that I don't want, we're going to we're gonna have to argue here. 
We're going to have a little conversation, you know. And, and, and often it shows up like this. And, and, and just keep looking straight forward. I'm preaching to the choir. You're here, but don't, don't respond at all because we don't want anybody to give themselves away. But, uh, you know, it, it often looks like this. I'm too tired to go to church today. I'm too busy to participate in that. I'm, well, you get it, too irritated with Tom to look at him again. Chair two people struggle with duplicity. I got a question for you. If God pulled completely out of your life, would you notice? Because I know a lot of people that are far from God, but they don't recognize it. And I see a lot of people who are running from God. They don't think they are. They'd swear they're not, but they're absolutely out of breath. How did we get there? Well, we, we just shifted to chair two. You know, when I'm in chair two, and i got to tell you something, there are moments in, that when I started praying and getting ready for the new year and God started showing me where we were going and what he was going to do and how he wanted us to get there, and he started showing me areas of my life where I need to get back in chair one. But finding out I was in chair two, can I tell you what I did? I compared myself to people in chair three. Like some of you guys are doing. You're thinking about the people who really need this message right now. And, and you know, I'd look at it, I'd say, well, at least, you know, at least I'm not like that dude, you know, and pick out a drug dealer or something. You know, you know at least I, I'm, doing, I'm doing a lot better than those guys. But do you, do you understand that that's not what God wants you to do? He just wants you to move. Chair three people, there's no struggle at all. It's just me on the throne. They might go to church, but it's to build a clientele. It's to get some names and some numbers. Really, it's all about my wants and my desires and my plans. And I can hurt people if I have to. I can bruise others as long as I get what I need. Which chair are you in? When it comes to the leader of your life. How about which chair are you in when it comes to describing your connection with God? Chair one people have a relationship. And it's very, very personal. Their heart is preoccupied with him. They wake up thinking about him. David said that he inclined his heart towards God. You know, to incline your heart is different than to serve God or to seek God. Or to honor God. To incline your heart means that he's the very first and the prominent thought of every decision. How is this going to impact God? He, they see God not as far off, but as very close and walking every day. And they long to actually acknowledge him in their life with every step. Chair two people, it's not relationship as much as it is religion. It's not personal. It's more regulation. It's a list of do's and don'ts and rules that we probably should follow. It's a ritual to be endured rather than a relationship to be enjoyed. It's a duty. You walk in, you walk out, but there's no change. You know, one of the things I, I, I really uh, appreciated about Scott this morning, he, he didn't know, uh, but he was talking about the transformation that's occurred in his life. You know, I know a lot of people that have been in church for years and years, but you can't see any difference in them. I think that at the end of next year, we ought to be radically different than we are right now. 
Hello? You know, but a lot of people, you know, five years later, ten years later, thirty years later, nothing's different. No transformation whatsoever. And church life doesn't impact their family life. It doesn't impact their work life. It doesn't impact their marriage or their personal finances. And, well, why is that? Well, because they compartmentalize everything. It's like a chest of drawers, and they've got, they've got a drawer for work and a drawer for family and a drawer for God. Chair three people. Well, before I get there, have I ever told you about the cowboy who went into the bar? And he'd, he'd go up to the bar, and he'd order three drinks, three mugs of beer. And he'd sip out of each one, one at a time. And the bartender came by, and he told him, he said, you know, beer kind of loses something as it sits here. It might taste better if you just order one, drink them one at a time. And he said, well, you don't understand. He said, you know, I have a pack with my brothers. And, uh, you know, we, we had great relationship growing up, and we've always, you know, drank together. But now jobs and family have separated us. We live all over the country. And uh, we, we just have this deal where we go into a bar, and we order three drinks, and we just drink together. Want three more? Sure. So one day he came in, and this has been going on for several months. One day he came in, and he sat down at the bar. He knew everybody in there by this time. He ordered two drinks. Silence just kind of hung over the bar. Everybody's, oh, man. Bartender comes up to him after a while, and he says, hey, everybody in here wants to tell you, you know, how sorry we are for your loss. He looked at him like, for my loss? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, no, my wife and I, we just joined a church. We had to quit drinking. <laughs> Didn't impact my brothers, though. <laughs> Chair three people. <laughs> Chair three people, when it comes to their connection with God, it's just rejection. They could be pleasant, they could be kind, or they could be hard to get along with and a scoundrel, but the reality is is that they've never accepted the invitation to choose you this day whom you will serve. They reject God as an option. And they say to themselves, at this point in my life, I'm perfectly content to go through life without God. And I I just want this morning to tell you that the longer you sit in that chair, the harder it is to get out. How do these chairs impact the way you look at the Bible? Well, a chair one believer submits to the Bible. You know, chair one people open God's Word, and, and, and they're not trying to fulfill an obligation, but they're actually seeking God. They're seeking conviction. They're looking for God to shape them and to mold them, and, and they want to be transformed and renewed in the spirit of their mind. Chair two people don't necessarily submit to the Bible, but they respect the Bible. They don't see it as the ultimate authority. They they just see the Bible as a great book with a lot of very good things to say. And we don't want to OD on the Bible because, you know, it feels old and it feels outdated. And they find more guidance from other authors, other sources. The other voices have just as much, if not more, authority in their life as the Bible. That's the chair two guy. The chair three guy, well, chair one submits to the Bible. Chair two respects the Bible. Chair three, he just owns one. Because it looks good on the shelf, you know, the nightstand in the guest bedroom. Maybe a great big old honking King James Bible with some pressed roses from our prom. 
you know, and birth certificates and $100 bills because you can hide money in a Bible. It's the last place people will look. How you view the Bible is very important. Your thoughts concerning everything else hinge on how you view the Bible. You tell me what chair you're in when it comes to the Bible, and I can tell you what you think about church. First chair people tend to view the church as a fantastic community of people drawn together by God who have an important cause in this world. First chair people don't go to church. They are the church. They're not just going to church. They're striving to be the church. They understand that church is a community where sinful, messed up people like us who have recognized their desperate need of God have found him and each other. And with God's grace working through them, they use their gifts to bring hope to the world. It ought to be the center of our lives, bringing hope to the world. Second chair people view church as a club, an organization that they belong to. They have a few meetings a month, and they go when they can, and they don't when they can't. And they go sometimes to meet new people, hang out, and build networks, but it's not actually life-changing. Third chair people view church as a tradition or a custom. They might go on Easter or Christmas, but it's nothing more than a custom to them. You see, what... Every chair you sit in impacts all these different areas of your life. Career. First chair people see their career as a calling. It's not just a job, but it's an opportunity to serve God and to be used God in that arena that he has, by his spirit, led them into. We went to a motel one time, and on the bed, you know, was one of those cards that says, this room has been cleaned just for you. But underneath that, there was a scripture written, and the gal had signed it, and she had written down 1 Peter 4 9. And I had the iPad open it up, and it says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's a first chair person right there. Understands their calling. Second chair people tend to see their career as a blessing. God has blessed us, He's given us money, He's given us everything we need to live on. But they're not focused on being a blessing, just being blessed. They like that. Third chair people see their career as an opportunity for success. It's a ladder that they climb, and they climb over people if they have to, and it's because it's all about me. How about which chair you sit in? How does it impact your marriage? First chair people see marriage as a covenant with God and with each other. It's important, unbreakable bond made between two people and God. Second chair people see marriage as a conditional contract. They hope it works. They want it to work, but there are strings attached to their vows. Why are there strings? Because they don't submit to God's word as the authority in their life. Third chair people see marriage as a legal convenience. They live together often without marriage because they don't see the high calling of marriage in the eyes of God. They might go ahead and get married because it might offer more respect or maybe a tax benefit or better insurance coverage, but it's just a legal convenience how about where you're seated how does it impact the way you parent your kids every parent wants their kids to turn out great how many parents say amen Amen. but yet what chair you're in determines different goals for your kids see first chair parents desire to raise godly kids they want to raise kids that know god kids that walk with god chair two people they parent their kids in an attempt to raise good kids. 
See the difference? I just need my kids to be good. I, I, I like it when people say, wow, that's a good kid. If I can just keep them out of jail, if I can just get them, you know, to study and, 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 you know, and have a few more people tell me how good my kids are, I've succeeded. Third chair parents, they love their kids too, but they desire to raise successful kids. And it's all about image. And if they can get the right grades and get the right school and get the right degree, get the right career, earn the right money. Here's a challenge for you parents. Why don't you ask your kids if you have enough courage? What chair do you think I sit in? You know, Bruce Wilkinson has presented this principle to thousands and thousands of people. And he's studied the results, and he's found that chair one parents tend to raise chair one children. It's not always, but most consistently. There's exceptions because kids have to choose. They have to make a choice. But in his study, he also found that chair two parents tend to raise chair three children. Well, that doesn't make sense. If a chair one guy raises chair one kids, then why wouldn't a chair two guy raise chair two kids? Well, because the chair two parent confuses their child. There's no stability, and so they don't see any reality, and so they just move to chair three. I don't need that. I can go to rotary. When a child's looking for stability, it's difficult for the child to accept spiritual leadership. When all he sees is duplicity. Parents, we need to get in that first chair. Last area I want to talk about is what chair you're sitting in. How does it impact fasting? First chair people see obeying God in this or any other area as an honor. They know that the Bible says when you pray, when you give, when you fast, they know it's God's will. Being saved isn't enough. Their heart is inclined towards God. Chair two people see obeying God in this area and others as a duty. They agree to fast as long as it doesn't mess up their schedule. You know, well, my birthday's coming up. Well, we got a party on the first. I'm going to start on the second. Can I just tell you, it's hard to put God first when you start on the second. Okay. (laughs) Chair two people, they struggle again with duplicity. Well, this feels like condemnation. I actually had an individual who shared with us that he wasn't going to fast food in one of our corporate fasts. He was fasting drugs. What? Well, years ago, I was on drugs, so I'm fasting drugs. And uh, he's no longer here because we call him a bedwetting sissy. You don't need a cop-out. You know, just own up, man. Get your big boy pants on. Either, either you're doing it or you ain't. Well, you, you, you're putting condemnation. No, we're challenging you to move from the chair you're in and to get into the chair God wants you. You know, chair two people focus on the rules of fasting and miss the grace of God to actually accomplish your goal. Chair three people see obeying God in this and other areas as self-deprivation. 
They don't see it as fasting. They don't see it as dieting. They see it as starving. What chair you're in impacts every area of your life. Luke 9.23, Jesus said to him, he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, every day, last night we had some baptisms, and those people had made a first chair decision. You know, the first act of obedience that Jesus asked of his disciples was that they be baptized. And, and uh, they, they, we had people who made that choice last night. That's a first chair choice. But you do realize that today they're going to have to continue to make first chair decisions. Just like you and I. We've made a lot of decisions in our life, and and uh, some of them have been great and some of them weren't so hot. But the reality is, is that if we could build the discipline to make first chair decisions, the way that we lead our home, the way that we go to our job, the way that we handle life, we, we can be first chair people. You know, the good news is, is that regardless of what chair you're in, you can always move. You're not stuck where you are because you're, you're not putting a chair by circumstance or situation. You're putting a chair by the choices that you make. And the reality of God's grace, grace is not a blanket that we cover our sins with and hide under. Grace is an empowering agent that gives us the ability to do what we could never do without God operating in our life. It's His ability added to our ability. When we do all we can and then the grace of God shows up and all of a sudden, you know, it's, you know grace will do for you what a phone booth did for Clark Kent. You step out of that sucker, man, and, you know, and you can leap tall buildings and you can, you know, take on the arm. The Bible says I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. It's by the grace of God. There's a lot of things that many of us have struggled with and found difficulty dealing with. And there's relationships that, that we, we know already that there's relationships that are third chair and second chair, but they shouldn't be there. But with the grace of God, you can have forgiveness flowing through your life. You know, there's, a, there's a, so many situations that we can take this and, and apply this principle to and move ourselves to a place where God can really, really use us. You know, we, we're, we're not just fasting to kick out food. We're fasting because God has called us to do something amazing in this, in this region. And I believe that God's plan for your life is probably way bigger than you've ever realized. Maybe during this season of fasting, you could just uh, take the time to pray and talk to God and ask Him to reveal His purpose for your life that in, a, in a new, fresh way, that He would speak to you about things that He would love to, to, to bless your life with and, and ways that He wants to uh, move you to the place where He's called you to be. I want to encourage you. You know, we have, uh, we have fasting contracts. They're picking them up at the info center. And, it, well, I'm not giving you a contract. No, this is for you to take home. Uh, we don't want them now. At the end of the fast, we might collect them for the praise stories. But, uh, you know, we, I've just found that if I have a written commitment and it's sitting on the refrigerator door, it's a little bit easier to stay out of the refrigerator. You know, but it says what I'm fasting for. And, and you know, the Bible says that uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Right? But he, who, who, he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, as we're fasting this year and we're seeking God, don't you know that God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? 
So, and, and, and I've found with, with, my, with my boys that when I offer them rewards, it's best if it's stuff they want. I'm going to reward you. You're going to get to mow the lawn twice this week. That doesn't go very far. But if it's stuff that they want, man, I'll tell you what, they apply themselves. Well, God's not afraid to reward you. God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Uh, it's not outside of, you know, well, it probably would be kind of carnal to tell God that I'd, I'd like to. No, that's what he wants. He wants to prove to you that he will walk alongside of you and empower you to, to enjoy success in all these areas of your life. You know, as a church, we're going to be believing God this year. We need financial miracles because about 20 months from now, we'd like to not be meeting here, but meeting in a place we own. Keyword, own. Right? We're never going to send professional fundraisers to your house. They will have no clue what they're doing. No, we're not sending fundraisers to your home. We're believing God for financial miracles. Why? Because we're givers. We're givers. You do realize that in the last couple of months, you know, we've sent, as a body, we've sent like $30,000 to missions. We, we've, uh, you know, just over Christmas, uh, what was it, 500 160 families getting meals. How many gifts? Individuals. It was like, yeah, 550 individuals who received Christmas gifts. That's through you. Well, you, you know what? You're, you're, you're sowing seed. You can't expect a harvest. Right? You, you, live, you live to give. Well, God, God's not trying to hold back from you. So, you know, I want to encourage you. Pick up a fasting contract. Make a deal with God. I'm going to fast, and here's what I'm fasting for. And here's my begin date, and here's my end date, and I'm going to sign it, and I'm going to put it on the refrigerator wall. And, and maybe one other piece of info that will help you is make sure you have a fasting buddy. You know, somebody who's, who's, who's in agreement with you and fasting with you so that when you're going to eat the door off the refrigerator, you can call them up and say, Pray! You know, and, well, we're supposed to go 21 days with no food, you know, just water. No, don't do that to yourself. You, you know, uh, uh, every day of the month, we have men that fast and pray for the whole body. And those guys have been kind of preparing themselves all year long. Uh, uh, you know, I started early this year because I'm praying for you. And this is the easiest fast I've ever been on. And those guys who have been doing that, you know, they'll probably be able to launch out and go a little bit farther with just water only. Uh, maybe you've never uh, went without a meal. Well, you probably don't want to just cut it off. But the last thing that you would want to do in these last few days is go on some kind of a binge. Well, I'm going to fast starting the first, so grannies, here we come. Don't set yourself up for failure. Begin to wean yourself, right? Begin to wean yourself. You know, if you're going to give up caffeine, you probably want to start now and start withdrawing a little bit because, you know, we don't want anybody hurt. It's kind of a danger in my world. Not that I'd get hurt, but I'd hurt people around me. And uh, I'll live on that stuff. But the reality is, is you can do it. I know you have an enemy who's telling you, this isn't for you. Come on, move from that chair. Don't, don't push the chairs together and sit on the arms. And try to, I'm, lean, I'm, lean, I'm leaning this way. No, get in the first chair. And believe God. For the, for the strength to demonstrate Satan's defeat. Believe God for the ability to humiliate hell. 
and on day eight of your fast and you're just, all you can think about is a Big Mac and, 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 and your prayer life, just suddenly you're praying for the salvation of Ronald McDonald. Maybe, maybe just go get one. And don't let the enemy beat you up for 14 days of you thinking that what a failure you are because all you can think about is food. But at least launch. I mean, you're going to believe God for some big things this year. Amen? How many believe in God for some big things this year? Amen? And it doesn't make any difference what it is. Tell God what you're believing for. And lock shields and get in agreement. I really don't think, you know, the Pareti law, the, the 80-20 law. You know, that uh, 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. It, you know, it's, it's actually, it's a very real law. It's probably why it's the pretty law. You know, it, it, if you ever want to see that law, you know, in living color, go to a church potluck. 80% of the food's eaten by 20% of the people. And, you know, but I don't think that law should exist in the church. I think we ought to be 100, 100. We're all in. I think that the fact is, is that God has called us, equipped us, anointed us to bring hope to this community. And that what we ought to live to do is to help people move from chair three to chair two to chair one. And that we ought to help them break all of the chains of bondage and don't don't take your fast and turn, you know, don't, uh, Jensen Franklin the other night, he said, you know, don't, don't allow fasting police to disrupt your life. That's not right. You're breaking, you're breaking the rules. No, I'm not. I'm doing what God tells me to do. Amen. And, and go at this thing and, and just realize that not only am I going to position myself to be all that God's called me to be, but I'm going to be more effective. My eyes are going to be open. I'm going to see things I've never seen before. I'm going to hear from God like I've never heard from God before. That hunger in my heart for more of him. He's, he's going he's to feed that. Amen? Close your book, bow your head, and let me pray for you.